You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Don't struggle to align your organization's cybersecurity with business risk. Get the only solution that goes beyond reacting to threats with vulnerability and risk monitoring. You need the next evolution of MDR, and only Critical Start delivers it. Critical Start doesn't just monitor and respond to threats. They put you in control by detecting suspicious activities, quickly responding to contained threats, and identifying your most critical assets and protecting them against vulnerabilities and exposures. With continuous visibility, expert guidance, and measurable risk reduction, Critical Start has redefined what it means to manage cyber risk. Demonstrate provable security maturity to your leadership while positioning your program to achieve the greatest risk reduction per dollar spent. Stop fearing risk and start managing it with Critical Start. Visit criticalstart.com and request a demo today. That's criticalstart.com. DDoS takes down internet sites throughout the U.S. East Coast. Hotspot vigilantes try to get Julian Assange reconnected inside Ecuador's London embassy. More election documents appear in WikiLeaks. Russia offers to monitor U.S. elections. NSA's director talks about labor force issues and some advice from the Cybersecurity Hall of Fame. You want security, convenience, and freedom? Pick two. I'm Dave Bittner in Baltimore with your CyberWire summary and week in review for Friday, October 21st, 2016. Multiple outlets are reporting that Dyn, a major DNS provider, has come under repeated denial-of-service attacks. This is causing widespread outages along the U.S. eastern seaboard. Many popular sites, including Twitter, Amazon, SoundCloud, Spotify, Netflix, Reddit, Discus, PayPal, and Constant Contact have been intermittently up and down throughout the day. Dyn and the affected sites are coping with these sequential waves of DDoS attack, but like our neighbors, we've been observing these issues all day. The story is developing. We'll follow it into next week. Fancy Bear continues its busy romp through Russia's western targets, not just the U.S. Democratic National Committee and various high numeros in the Clinton campaign. But, according to ESET, more than 1,800 distinct email addresses throughout Europe, the Middle East, North America, and Latin America. Bitly-based phishing links were evidently used to compromise the Gmail accounts of both Clinton operative John Podesta and former Secretary of State Colin Powell. Motherboard has a nice catch of convincing-looking fish bait. They invite you to look and consider whether you'd bite. The spoofing is, as former Homeland Security Secretary Chertoff told an audience at Cyber Maryland today, quite persuasive and convincing. U.S. Director of National Intelligence Clapper says that there's really no serious doubt the Russian services are the ones culling and distributing the election season's email sleaze, and ODNI's got the forensics to back up the attribution. Fancy Bear's take continues to be distributed through DC Leaks and WikiLeaks. The latter has released, among other stuff, one of President Obama's pre-presidential email addresses. TechCrunch tried emailing him. It didn't bounce, but no reply yet. WikiLeaks's Julian Assange remains in Ecuador's London embassy. Ecuador continues to extend him asylum, but they've cut off his internet. 
A number of Wi-Fi vigilantes are said to be hanging around outside, offering Mr. Assange the use of their hotspots, but with what success is unknown. The Russian government, through its crocodile tears, has expressed an interest in monitoring U.S. elections, about which they profess concern. There's no U.S. response to this offer yet, but we did hear former Homeland Security Secretary Chertoff comment on Russian election monitors this afternoon at Cyber Maryland. Quote, I'd like to say come on over and see how a real democracy works, but sometimes you have to be willing to put yourself under the same standards you apply to others. I'm only being semi-facetious when I say, great, come and observe. God bless, come and do that. End quote. So who knows, will it happen? Probably not. Still, fun to think about. ThreatConnect reports that the same Chinese actors believed to have hacked the U.S. Office of Personnel Management and the Anthem Insurance Network are back, now targeting Franco-American infrastructure companies. A number of U.S. officials have recently pointed to a marked increase in Chinese government hacking, so this new campaign appears to be either an outlier or a resumption of earlier practices. An ATM hacking wave has hit India. Debit cards are being affected. Major Indian banks are coping with the problem by replacing compromised debit cards. We've been attending Cyber Maryland, which is wrapping up this afternoon. Yesterday morning, NSA Director Admiral Michael Rogers opened the conference with a keynote that called for more efforts in cybersecurity workforce development. He noted NSA's internship program with particular satisfaction. More public-private cooperation. He thinks the private sector should tell the government what kind of information it needs. The requirements for information sharing in particular should originate in the private sector. Faster Acquisition Authority, an FY 2017 pilot in the U.S. Cyber Command, will, he hopes, prove a successful model for the future. And some serious national introspection about what foreign adversaries in cyberspace mean for American society and the American political system. His emphasis on the importance of workforce development was brought into sharper relief by those who introduced him, a high school junior from Baltimore County's Loyola Blakefield School, and its award-winning cyber program did the honors. Also at Cyber Maryland, we caught up with Joey Munez, technical solutions architect with Cisco. He gave a talk at the conference explaining various types of cyber attacks and how they differ from the way Hollywood often portrays them. I think in general, people are just misled. So it can be that the, the media like you're talking about is misleading them. It could be the vendors saying, hey, buy this magic product and you're going to be safe. And it, they actually get a false sense of security from that. I think even uh, compliances and some of those regulations, somebody says, oh, we've met this particular regulation. We're safe now, which are not, because that regulation is X amount of months, years old. So I think in general as an industry, a lot of that leads where if you just kind of jump in, you're not getting the right information. And that's all misleading. Last night's induction ceremonies for the National Cybersecurity Hall of Fame were marked by graceful speeches by those who received the award. Congratulations to all of them. Most of the newest members of the Hall of Fame saw difficult challenges ahead for cybersecurity, even as they acknowledged their colleagues, students, and mentors. We'll note something Dan Gear closed with, giving him the last word. Referring to a NORAD commanding general's remark from the mid-1950s that the price of security was inconvenience, Gare suggested that our civilization faced a future in which security, freedom, and convenience would increasingly find themselves in tension. His advice? Pick two.
Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Joining me once again is Jonathan Katz. He's a professor of computer science at the University of Maryland and also director of the Maryland Cybersecurity Center. Jonathan saw an article in Motherboard recently, and they were talking about how the cryptographic key that secures the web is being changed for the first time. Walk us through what's going on here. Well, this is a key that's used by ICANN, the Internet Corporation for Assigned Names and Numbers. Uh, and like the uh, headline of the article said, it's a key that's used to secure routing on the Internet. So every time you type into your browser, uh, say Google.com, uh, that address that you typed needs to get translated into a uh, an IP address that allows the packets that you send to reach their destination. And this is done through a uh, somewhat complex protocol uh, called DNS, or the Domain Name System. And in order to prevent attackers from modifying the addresses that you get back and then sending you to the wrong place, um, what the, the answers you get back from the Domain Name Service can actually be uh, signed uh, with respect to a public key. And so ICANN were, were the ones in charge of this public key, and they're now going to be refreshing that key and updating it uh, and issuing a new key. Now, one of the things that struck me in the article is that they're increasing the size of the key from uh, 1024 bits up to 2048. Now, uh, in a world where we consider 256-bit encryption to be pretty secure, uh, is going all the way up to 2048, is that uh, just future-proofing or is that overkill? To, what's going on with that? Well, so here they're actually using RSA uh, technology, RS, the RSA crypto system for the signature scheme. And there's a difference in bit security when you talk about key lengths for symmetric key algorithms and for asymmetric algorithms like RSA. Mm. So 256-bit security is sufficient for symmetric key algorithms. Uh, but for public key algorithms, 
uh, you need a lot more bits in order to obtain uh, comparable security. Uh, going from 1024 bits to 2048 bits is basically giving them protection for uh, several more years. Uh, we actually still can't break 1024-bit RSA, but it's getting to the point where maybe it's a little bit of an uncomfortable security margin, and people are concerned that perhaps with a, within a time span of five years or so, we may be able to break such keys. And so for that reason, they're just being careful and going up to a 2048-bit key. And is this a transition that's going to be seamless to users? Uh, well, hopefully so. I, I mean, there's always the risk, actually, that there will be some compatibility issues. Uh, but I think they're proceeding slowly enough that those should hopefully get ironed out and users won't see any problems. All right. Jonathan Katz, thanks for joining us. My guest today is Kevin Green. He's a program manager in the Cybersecurity Division of the Department of Homeland Security, Science and Technology Directorate, where he's a leader in the agency's software assurance efforts. I have about 20 years of cybersecurity experience. Of recent years, I've been focusing on software security and software assurance, really develop a, a strong passion um, regarding this area because I believe that everything starts with building secure systems and coding is a, a, a huge part of that. Currently support uh, Homeland Security Science and Technology Directorate, Cybersecurity Division as a program manager. And my role is really a couple of things. Really one, be you know, a leader in the community, working with academia, working with industry, as well as government to really figure out how do we advance software assurance technologies, tools and capabilities is really trying to push forward the state of the art and, ev and evolving and innovating around creating better capabilities in terms of how we analyze software for potential weaknesses that can expose vulnerabilities in software. So d describe to us when we're talking about software assurance, what does software assurance mean? Well, software assurance means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. But essentially, it's really you know, what what processes, what methodologies, what practices can you use to gain um, confidence and trust in using software, making sure software works as intended. Uh, so essentially, at a very high level, uh, that's the really going principles that I use in terms of software insurance. So take us through some of the programs that you all are working on. Fundamentally, the program at CSD, Cybersecurity Division at S&T, was really rooted in a program that is called Software Quality Assurance, which was designed to really improve the methods and capabilities in, in terms of how we test software. So we're talking static analysis, dynamic analysis, and binary analysis, really trying to uh, fund research to improve those critical areas and make tools better. We have also have CIBR programs, and CIBR is Small Business Innovation Research, which allows us to work with small businesses to create research and, and create some novel capabilities around software quality assurance tools. Uh, I have two major programs uh, that have just been awarded. One is called STAMP, Static Tool Analysis Modernization Project. And the motivation behind that came from, um, I was watching TV with my wife. It was something, I'm sure you're familiar with HGTV, Home Garden TV. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. there's, you know, the the two brothers, the property brothers, one who find neglected homes and you have the other who kind of, you know, takes takes funds and renovate the homes. I kind of said, wow, I can do that with open source static analysis too. So that's kind of how Stamp came about. So what we're doing with Stamp is we're taking a collection of open source static analysis tools 
and we're going to modernize them. So there's four steps really, very very high level four steps is we're going to create a, a next generation of test cases that allows us to baseline and measure the performance of static analysis tools. And phase two is doing a tool study so we understand you know, the strength of the tools, the weaknesses in tools, the gaps are, and that helps us generate what we call a modernization framework, allows us to identify the areas where we need to modernize open source static analysis tools. And the fourth element is something I think is very unique and very interesting. It's called a consumer report for these tools. And the deal, the idea, you know, the goal behind that is really to provide those who are using these tools, those who are going to purchase these tools, an idea of what what are the strengths or what are the weaknesses of the tools, what are the sweet spots, what does what do the tools do well? What it also will do is it shows where the overlap is in in, in the tools, so that folks want to uh, pair different static analysis tools together. They have an idea of which tools need they need to pair together to best match their software assurance needs. Uh, the other one is called ASTAM. It's called Application Security Threat and Attack Modeling. Um, the motivation behind that is because we can't continue to patch. I mean, we've seen this with a lot of these security breaches that, that are happening. We look at malware, what malware does. Malware looks for vulnerable systems, uh, unpatched systems, so we can't continue to patch. So ASTAM came about because the window of exposure is continuing to continue. It seems like it's getting, getting wider and wider. So the goal behind ASTAM is really to mimic the behavior of an attacker. You know, attacker does reconnaissance and it looks for vulnerable systems 24-7. Hackers don't sleep. So this provides, ASTEM provides an on-demand capability to to automate red teaming, penetration testing. Um, but it also does something what I think is very important, helps create countermeasures uh, and, mi and mitigation mechanisms to block potential exposures in the attack service until administrators, organizations had the time to go and patch systems. And the fourth and final is something um, which is which is very dear to me. It's called the Software Assurance Marketplace. And ideally, it's a collaborative research infrastructure where software assurance researchers, tool developers, developers, software developers can come and improve their software assurance capabilities. For instance, if a, if a tool developer um, wants to improve their tool, today we host over... 600 software packages and test cases and they become targets for a tool developer to launch a tool against and the purpose of that is it helps a tool developer understand what their tools is good at right so the swamp provides a way for tool developers to improve their tool over a period of time with something called continuous continuous assurance one of the unique value propositions of swamp is you know the swamp is in the classroom and helping reinforce uh, the principles of secure coding in helping students improve their coding practices. Right now, the swamp is in a classroom and has been integrated in Bowie State, which is located in Bowie, Maryland. It's a HBCU. Uh, they are using it for their computer science courses, and it's really helping students learn and helping them reinforce good coding practices. And I think that's a that's a great value proposition. It's something I'm very excited about. And so if someone wants to collaborate with you, someone wants to get involved with these programs, what's the best way for them to do that? So the best thing is to do is to um, visit our website, www.dhs.gov. And under the Science and Technology Directory, you can look for the Cybersecurity Division. You can get all information about 
all the latest research and R&D projects and ways to engage our cybersecurity division. Also, every year we have something called our R&D Showcase and Technical Workshop. It's an opportunity for our PIs and, and researchers to brief the community on the research and on the progress of their research. It's also an opportunity for uh, the community uh, to engage our researchers on their research projects. So it's a great event, and I think it's great for folks to see some of the great work that we're doing. My thanks to Kevin Green for joining us. Kevin hosts a podcast of his own called Welcome to Cybersecurity Insights and Perspectives, which you can find on iTunes. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. We are proudly produced in Maryland by our talented team of editors and producers. I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. Listeners, we're always looking for ways to improve the N2K CyberWire network and maintain the intelligence-driven news experience that keeps you in the know on the latest developments in cybersecurity. We've launched our 2024 audience survey and would love for you to take a few minutes to share your feedback. And hey, there's even a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card if you complete the survey. Visit cyberwire.com survey. That's cyberwire.com slash survey and share your feedback now. And now a word from our sponsor, SpyCloud, the leader in operationalizing cybercrime analytics. Traditional threat intelligence is a thing of the past. Cyber criminals are stealing vast amounts of credentials, session cookies, and financial data every day, and it's hard to keep up. SpyCloud is the trusted partner businesses turn to to fully understand their darknet exposure risk and neutralize threats before it's too late. SpyCloud alerts your organization as soon as an employee or customer's data appears on the darknet, so you can act faster than bad actors to prevent cyber attacks like ransomware, session hijacking, account takeover, and online fraud. With insights from the industry's largest repository of recaptured data, protect the digital identities and systems most important to your business. Get your free corporate darknet exposure report at spycloud.com slash cyberwire and see what information criminals have in their hands today. That's spycloud.com slash cyberwire.